Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Last week, we looked at chapter 1 and the first few verses of chapter 2. And we covered that first part of the verse we just read. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord. So we looked at the theme of just Jesus, which Paul wants to bring this Colossian church back to that anchor, back to that centrality, that he would, that this would be a Christocentric church, a church that orbits around and revolves around Jesus because we begin that way, but somewhere down the road, we can often be led uh, still towards Jesus and never walking away from him, but maybe adding more clutter to our Christian experience. And Paul sees that in Colossae, this is very much a reality and that there are teachers and presences in that church which are describing new ways for the Colossians to grow and become more complete in their relationship with God. If only you will add this practice, subscribe to this religious ritual, or abstain from that thing that some people do. And so there are these additions that have been added to the basic message of just Jesus. You, you received just Jesus. Do you remember that? When you heard the gospel for the first time, it was not with strings attached. Where there's this deal of, hey, good news, uh, there's a new king over the world. His name is Jesus. He's going to come and bring his kingdom one day. Uh, so you can join that if you um, keep these prayers. We have a certain prayer for each day of the week. So you keep these prayers, and then you come to church each week and tithe exactly 10.9%. That 0.9 is just for extra insurance. And you and we begin there can be this list of things and that's never at least if you came to the true gospel that's never how you received jesus you received just him him who had sacrificed his life for your sin who went to the cross to pay that penalty of yours and rose from the dead so that we too who are in him will rise from the dead at the end of time that is just jesus and that is enough that is what the world needs is the death and resurrection of Jesus and for the rest of the world to participate in that. That is what we need. That is just Jesus. And Paul is reminding them in this pivot verse of the book, just as you received Christ Jesus, our Lord. So now in light of that, walk in him. Don't keep adding things, but the way you received him, walk in that way with him. So the simplicity must still be there. The foundation of grace must still be what we build upon. That is the simple message he has to say. Because, oh, Colossians, man, man, oh, man, have you been complicating it just a bit? Remember this word we learned last week? This word, welt angst, W-E-L-T angst. 
And it comes from German, uh, world angst or world anxiety. And it's this concept uh, that um, people have put to this idea that we can watch the news, we can hear about events, we can look at the world around us, and we see injustice, we see oppression, we see world hunger, we see school shootings, we see lousy candidates for the presidency, we hear things that are supreme... (laughs) Forgive us, Lord. We see for uh, things that... um, Man, someone just threw me way off. (laughs) Decisions our Supreme Court is making. You could go down the list forever and ever and ever. And there are a ton of things happening in our world that we can't control. And we therefore feel this angst. We feel this anxiety. We, we worry about it. And, and that's what, that's how we deal with it because we can't control it. We want to worry. And we feel like by our worrying, we're somehow like making God act on it. And what happened in their time is wealth angst was very much alive and well. They may not have had the newscasts that we have, but they told each other how the universe works. And it wasn't necessarily any more comforting because in their worldview, especially a Roman pagan worldview, uh, the universe was a complex thing and they didn't quite understand a lot of things about it like us today. Although we know way more than they knew. They knew almost nothing about it. And so they went through life very... Uh, timidly, very cautiously, very scared about what might happen next because they didn't understand a lot of things. And so the way they explained the universe was that there was a God or a goddess or a force that ruled and controlled each and every little part of the universe. And so the goal of life, the secret of living a prosperous life was to be pious, was to serve these gods and appease them and uh, at special occasions to manipulate them. So if you were to go on a business trip, today we get on a plane and we usher up a little quick prayer to Jesus if you're afraid of flying. Uh, but back then, they would get in their carriage and they would go out. And they would, uh, before they'd go, though, they'd make a sacrifice or an offering to the God of the Roman roads. Or if they were going to throw a big banquet for the neighborhood, they would go to the God that was over festivities and all of that stuff. And they would give a little... Um, dedication to that God so that the banquet would go well and the friendships would be happy and so forth. Just every part of life, there was a God for that. Kind of how Apple thinks there's an app for that. And so what they were seeking to do was keep these gods happy and be in relationship with them. That was a way to control the wealth angst of the universe. Unfortunately, if the gods weren't happy with you, then bad things would happen to you. So it created a superstitious way of life. And that's where the things like if you see a pregnant dog cross you, that was a bad omen. Or if there were two crows, you're safe, but one crow, you're in danger. All these signs, they would start to interpret around the world around them. And so the Colossians, of course, maybe not yet having their minds completely renewed, uh, they're following Jesus. And so now they're trying to, cool, we received Jesus. And Paul's reminding them, you received just Jesus. Like, yes, just Jesus. But as they're walking through life, like, why did that bad thing happen? How do we control that? What do we say about this? And these pagan worldview is still working in their minds. And so they begin to suggest, hey, why don't we add into our services a little prayer to Zeus or to Diana or to um, this goddess? And they were therefore trying to find peace and harmony in the world that they didn't understand. And so that's wealth angst. And that's part of the context that Paul's writing to. Because Jesus was suddenly not enough 
He didn't hold the universe in his hands. He didn't sustain it. He wasn't the source of it, and he wasn't the solution of it. They had somehow cheapened that by adding in other necessities, other powers, other gods and goddesses, other religious practices to somehow make more of Jesus. And so Paul uh, told us, Chapter 1, verses 15 to 20 was really the core. It's this hymn he quotes, uh, this early church confession about who Jesus is, and that lays it to rest. And he says, listen, if everything came from Jesus, and if everything is continuing because of Jesus, and if everything's going to find its climax in his return, then what can we say about the world today? It's in good hands and so Paul has to elevate Jesus and remind them, this is the Jesus you received. And just Jesus is enough. And so now we come to our section tonight, and he's going to encourage them, remember that and walk in that. Live in that. This is just Jesus. And this isn't saying like, oh, just Jesus. Not a big deal. This is saying strip away everything else that we have the raw, organic, authentic Jesus left and that we're holding on to the bedrock of Christ, not some fluffy things about him and other things added in with him. So that's living just Jesus. Now, here's why he tells them uh, that they need to live just Jesus because uh, other things are going on. So if you will look with me at verse 8, for example, the middle part of verse 8 says this, let me read the whole verse. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. And here's the key, not according to Christ. So we see right off the bat, Paul says, hey, take heed. No one takes you captive because there are ideas and there are philosophies and there are suggestions running out there in the Colossae church that are not according to Jesus. So there are some added things that are somehow going to make the Colossians more complete that they can't be already in Jesus alone. And then if you look at verse 19, 2 verse 19. So we see that they're, they're doing all these things and the 19 says, and they're not holding fast to the head, capital H, head from whom the whole body nourished in it together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So in those two places, clearly we see that there are practices and things going on in which Paul has to add. And this stuff was not according to Jesus. And this stuff was not according or holding fast to the head who is leading the whole church. So there's, there's these other things that are totally separate from Jesus. And that's what he's uh, bringing up. And now he's going to say, hey, you know what? If Jesus was enough to receive for your salvation, he's enough to live out your salvation in this world. You will make it. If he's sustaining the universe till the end, holding all things together, 1 verse 17, then he is more than worthy to hold you together and to hold your faith together. So though there are things, okay, there are religious practices, and you can go down the gamut, uh, you, whether you're talking about Catholicism or uh, Lutheranism or uh, the Presbyterians or the Baptists or Calvary Chapelites, or, you know, you go down your list, they all have their favorite practices and things that they emphasize and things that they do. The idea is not to go into every church and start raging on everybody saying, I see chairs in here. It's supposed to be just Jesus. Why are there guitars? Just Jesus. And that's not the idea. 
That's not the idea. You see, we don't have Richard lead us in worship because somehow Jesus is not enough. And that if only we could sing loud enough, then he will become enough. That's not why we do worship. For us, the singing of songs and all the other things you can talk about, what they should be doing, and if they're not, then we need an ex uh, but what they should be doing is coming out of a place of saying, Jesus is more than enough. This is our means of experiencing his fullness. So we don't start this night off in worship songs because we got to get God to hear us and know we're here or we got to somehow get God in our favor because I kind of walked in not being the best. In fact, on my way over from the dining room, I was thinking bad thoughts about um, Paul over there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and we come in sometimes with this guilt complex and we we're superstitious. We have wealth angst. We're like ancient pagans. And we think, okay, appease God because I really blew it this week. So I'm going to sing louder this week. I really hope Richard sings my favorite because that always puts me with God in a special way. And we kind of come in like this sometimes. And, and then we beat ourselves up because what was he just praying? And how was I thinking about our vacation next week? What in the world? I'm such a sinner. Like we think these things and God's not necessarily going to say, well, Good job, Mike, because now I'm not going to speak to you like you thought I was. Uh, something bad's going to happen to you because you didn't sing along with that song. That's not how this works. We don't need to enter into these things with superstitious motives. We don't sing the song because somehow we're getting God back on our good side. In fact, we're walking into a room in which he's already filled. We're singing songs not to get God to respond to us, but we're singing songs to respond to what he's already been doing here. And so we're receiving just Jesus, and therefore we want to live just Jesus. And all that, just a roundabout way to say again. When we say just Jesus, is not to go on this tirade against everybody who uh, likes to say the Lord's Prayer every single day. It makes me feel closer to God. Great, good for you. But the idea is to say, if I need some extra biblical activities to feel like I'm a Christian or to complete my salvation, or to experience the fullness of God, then that's a dangerous line. And that's where we have to question, who is Jesus to us? And do we understand that just Jesus is enough? Or are we doing the whole Jesus plus fill in the blank makes me complete? And that was last week. So if you want to get the podcast, the CD, go for it. So this is what we're seeing. There are extra things going on. So what's Paul going to do? Well, he tells us right up front in verse 6 again, Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ the Lord, now here's a logical outcome. So walk in him in the same manner as the implied idea. As you received him, make sure you're walking in the same way that you received him. So if this was a simple, uh, I need you, you love me, thank you for your grace, just Jesus moment, then make sure you keep walking that way. It never ends. You never arrive or you're never lower than a place where God said you should have been here by now. You just keep on receiving just Jesus in your life. That's how you live, just Jesus. It's the simplicity of he is enough. I'm totally not enough. Therefore, I long for him. I need him. I'm dependent upon him. So I keep calling out to him. I keep praying. I keep reading the scriptures. I keep fellowshipping with other Christians. That's the idea. Keep living in that way. Don't complicate it. Don't get straight off. But keep going strong, steady, and solid. And so, verse 6, so walk in him. 7 gives us a little bit of explanation. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him. 
So walk in him how? Rooted and built up in him. So I'm rooted in him. I don't need to go find some new organic soil. That's a new thing that's going to make some miracle grow happen. I just need to root myself in him. Built up in him. He is the foundation. He's, he's the one that's going to make me built up strong. Um, established in the faith. My faith is in him. And just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So those are some, that's what he means. Walk in him. Keep on being rooted, built up. Establishing your faith and thanking just Jesus. It is so simple. And so I want you to know right now that however you've come in and wherever you are at with God and whatever you think of Jesus, that he's here and he simply wants to get into your life. And that is it. We're not asking you to jump through hoops. He's not asking you to jump through hoops. He simply wants in your life. Things will happen when that happens. But you will want it to happen because you will never feel more complete than when you just, with all religion aside, say, I'm ready for just Jesus. I'm going to stop wearing the facade and this religious apparel and making myself feel better and trying to present myself better before God. I'm just going to let that all aside and say, you know what? Jesus is here in the word. He's here in the songs. He's here in our prayers. He's going to be here in communion. He's here in our thoughts. He's here in this room. And that is why we come. That's why we gather. That's why you sit and endure my ramblings because he is enough. So let's enter in with him, huh? So that's what he wants us to do. Live just Jesus. Why? Why is this so important to Paul? Well, now he's going to give us a positive and negative example of why this is so important to him. So positively, in verse 8, we already looked at that. See to it that no one takes you captive by, empty, uh, by philosophy and empty deceit. And so this philosophy and empty deceit is according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So where is it coming from? It's coming from human tradition and the elemental spirits. Or um, the New King James says something like uh, the elemental principles. There's a little bit of uncertainty about what exactly the Greek is talking about. It's talking about the elemental something. And so there's ideas. Uh, the elementals... Uh, have been used to talk about spirits in the world. So some people are saying, hey, we need to tap into the other spirits and the other powers in the universe, the other gods, and, and with Jesus, we'll become super complete in God. That's, that's, what, that's what some people think it's saying there. Other people think that um, it's talking about principles, uh, like your, your elementary principles. Like when you go to school, you learn your ABCs, your one, two, threes. Those are elementary fundamental principles. And so they think that this is what he's talking about is uh, that these teachings are according to the fundamental principles of other things that they were taught. But probably and most likely is that it's talking to the elemental principles of the universe. And that would be in the ancient world mind, it would be... Uh, air, it would be earth, it would be water, and it would be fire. Those are the four elemental 
foundations of the universe. And you can find this exact Greek phrase here in other writings where they talk about those specific things. And so um, it seems evident that Paul, using the language of his time, is referring to those things. And the reason I bring this up is because we see where this extra, uh, more than Jesus kind of teaching and philosophy is coming from. It's coming from human tradition, number one. And second, from the elements of the earth or the elements of the cosmos. Basically, materialistic things. They're, they're rooting their philosophies and their theology of Jesus into earthly materialistic things. Things that can be touched, smelled, handled. And that these are somehow teaching them about Jesus and they're, they're relying upon these things. They're becoming very earthly and very... Um, temporary not not about the things of god and of heaven and the future so um we see that they're a little bit confused that's going to come into play a little bit later so in verse 9 this is why paul tells them to be careful don't get let off for in jesus the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily For in Jesus, the whole fullness of God dwells in him. There is not one ounce of God missing in Jesus. It's not like, well, if we want to know God, we need Jesus and this. All of the Godhead, all of the power of the deity lives and dwells in Jesus. And so by coming to just Jesus, we get all of that. It's all available in him. And as a result, this is what happens to us. Verse 10, and you, you have been filled, or New King James, I love, you've been complete in him, which is the head of all rule and authority. So because all of God's character, all of his power and glory and beauty and uh, uh, satisfaction, all of that is found in Jesus, then you, when you come to Jesus, he, on behalf of God, is completing you entirely. You are in Jesus complete. You are fulfilled. There is nothing lacking in you. There's nothing that you need to um, add in to change. Because in him, you're everything that is pleasing to God. And this is so, so, so vital for some of us to take the next step with God in our life. Because we go around thinking so insecurely that I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I will never be like so-and-so and like this person. And we keep going around with this insecurity. And Paul is saying that in Jesus, you are enough. He's given you all that you need. (laughs) We don't need self-help books necessarily. Five ways to improve your life. Because... According to just Jesus, according to Colossians, that in him, he's just asking that I walk closely with him, that I love him, that I cling to him. And in that, Brandon is enough. Oh my goodness, how this changed me as a teenager. (laughs) I'm not popular enough. I'm not outgoing enough. I, you know, all these things. But wait a minute, Brandon. 
I didn't ask you to be those things. I simply asked you to be in my son who in you makes you everything I need you to be. And some of us balk at maybe serving God in various ways, uh, whether big or small, because I'm not good enough. But wait a minute. I, I'm, I need you to read that again. You have been filled in him. God's not like, yeah, you're right. You know what? You're not enough. I don't know what's wrong with you. Have you tried following these do's and don'ts? No, he's just very straightforward. I, I, if you keep clinging to Jesus, he will give you everything that you need to minister to your neighbor, to do your job in the workplace, and to raise your family. The problem is that we don't trust just Jesus. And we think that there's a trick or a secret or something we need to add in. And Paul, just listen. I don't know how to make this clearer. God is everything in the world. All of that is in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus and walk with him, all of that is by default in you. That is mind-blowing that I have that direct access with all of God. I don't need another avenue. Like somehow God said, well, my good parts are over here and then my lesser parts are over here and you've got connection over here, but you want to get over here. Like, no, no, none of that. In Jesus, the fullness of God is there. Man, if we could only learn to trust that just Jesus is enough. So that's why he's livid, or I mean, I'm sorry, uh, not livid, but vividly, uh, he, he, he means this. He wants them to see that they don't need to somehow merge with their pagan city. So, in him, verse 11 what he's going to do from 11 to 15, he's going to tell you how you're filled in him. What has he filled you with? What are the things that he's taken care of? So these are what we're going to see. Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Huh? <laughs> so in Judaism, uh, the way that they were initiated into this covenant people of God, God's chosen people, the way that they knew they were his chosen people is through, uh, for the males, they circumcised them when they were born. And that was their, that's how they knew they were insiders because they bodily were different than outsiders. Now, here, Paul's saying that you, when you came to Jesus, in him, you were circumcised. But fortunately, God's not requiring some outward action anymore. He circumcised you in the heart. He set aside part of you. And, and what he says here is, uh, if you finish verse 12, in, uh, by circumcision of Christ, having been, I'm sorry, where am I? <laughs> in him, verse 11, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. By the circumcision, circumcision of Christ. What he has removed from us is this decaying, this, this uh, fallen natural body that he's cut off so that we can be full, filled with the fullness of God and moving on with him. 
And so we ha- too have the circumcision, which maybe some in Colossae were saying, great, good, you've got Jesus. But have you been circumcised? Because uh, read Genesis 17. God required his people to be circumcised. Have you been circumcised? And Paul sees this confusion here and he's like, whoa, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, just stop talking to them. Don't listen to them. They're not good. Come over here. In Jesus, he circumcised your heart already. You don't need to do this physical snip, snip thing. We don't need Jesus plus removal of this part of your body equals now complete Christian. Not at all. Just Jesus. Please don't listen. You guys, now let me deal with you. I'm writing you a letter. Just hold on a second. So (laughs) that's what's going on. And what he's saying is listen, in him you're complete, you're fulfilled. You already have become insiders. You don't need to go through that Jewish ritual. That is a man-made, well, it was God-given, but it is now in Paul's mind because of Jesus. It's now a man-made philosophy. So you're insiders in him. He, Jesus, is your circumcision. So verse 12 continues this idea. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. (laughs) So... Part of your insidership is that he didn't just say, okay, cool, yeah, you can come in. Yeah, I prefer you're physically circumcised, but you're not. But that's okay, because I can kind of pretend like in Jesus you are. It's not saying that at all. He's saying in Jesus, you were so brought inside the Godhead that you died with Jesus on the cross. That wasn't just a solo man's job up there. You were there too. And you were buried when he was buried and you came out of the grave when he came out of the grave. So that Paul can say you are truly an insider in the things of God. You are one with Jesus. And that was without any regulation or ritual applied. So in verse 13, we have... So in him we're full because we are insiders. Now second, because we are, uh, he's given us resurrection and this completes us because this is what we need. Everyone's going to die, but resurrection conquers that enemy of death and gives you life forever with God. So this is big time fulfillment. 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him Having forgiven us all our trespasses. You were dead. So listen, you did nothing to earn this forgiveness. You didn't, you know, sign up for anything. You didn't accomplish a certain hocus pocus activity. You were dead and he grabbed you and raised you up with his son And having forgiven you all your trespasses, 14 tells us how he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with this legal demand. So if there's like this list of everything you've done wrong and a judge is going to read them off to you, he's just put this big old stamp on it. It says irrelevant. So last world (laughs) forgiven. So this, this list He set aside, nailing it to the cross. And that is what you get in Jesus. 
You are complete. You are full in Jesus because you're an insider and you are promised to rise with him. And in that you are forgiven of sins. All of this. And he's told you to do not a single outward physical ritual to earn it. And then third, so we're insiders, we're, res- we're resurrected, and we, third, we're complete in him because he gives us a victory. So 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by, triumphen- by triumphing over them in him or in it. Whether it's Jesus or the cross, it's not clear, but he made that happen. So these very rulers and authorities that some of the Colossians are, oh my gosh, is there like a little God somewhere that's going to, did I forget to pray to someone? You know, they're all scared. Paul's saying, listen, on the cross, Jesus made foolish these powers that you're terrified of, that you want to appease. They marched like defeated criminals, like a defeated army. When Caesar would conquer a people, he would parade on his chariot, all in white, of course, everyone sing his praises, and behind him would be all the captives from the people he conquered. They would become slaves in the empire. And Paul is using that picture to say, listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he triumphed, and they were led like captives behind him. These gods and powers, this welt angst in this world, it is nothing following the conquering, triumphant parade of Jesus. So we need not worry about those things. He is the conqueror and we are with him. Often the army before the captives followed Caesar, the army would follow Caesar, then the captives. So we're right there with Jesus marching and they're, they're following us. We're not following them. So this is, this is why this is big to Paul, because listen, living just Jesus means being fulfilled. So some of us are not fulfilled we're not content in life we don't feel complete you've you've done the whole like oh yeah i'm totally an insider jesus has forgiven my sins i've asked for forgiveness and i i believe that in the end like i'll be triumphant with him and all but you're still turning to worthless elementary principle things earth wind fire and all that stuff you're turning to these to somehow satisfy a hunger within you And you really aren't experiencing fullness in Jesus because for you, I need Jesus and this pleasure. Or another way of doing pleasure. Some people, I need Jesus and this religious establishment. Tonight, it's my prayer that we can become complete in just Jesus. And that you could throw out that extra thing that you're seeking. Well, that's the good news. This is why I want you to live just Jesus. Because you're complete in him. He's done all this. But I understand that there's not always going to be everybody that's bringing you into Jesus. They're, they got these programs and these formulas saying, come join this and do that. So Paul's now going to give the negative side. He's basically going to say, I want you to live just Jesus because you're complete in him. This is all you need. And I wish so badly that that's all you need to hear. But I need to address this side too now because frankly, not everybody lives just Jesus. They live Jesus and fill in the blank. So this is what I have to say to that. It's empty it's dead it's worthless that's what he's going to say about that jesus plus something else is empty and dead so let's go in 2 verse 16 therefore 
Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Remember the elemental principles of the universe? So here, like they're basing everything on, on earthly things. Let no one judge you on food and drink and with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Can you imagine? He has to tell, don't let anybody judge you on that. So do you eat something that maybe other people think like, well, godly people don't eat that. Godly people don't drink that. Paul's saying, don't let them judge you. You're letting them bully you and press you into some Jesus plus this makes you a real Christian. Don't let that happen. And the minute we succumb to other people's legalisms, we are no longer living just Jesus. Do not let them judge you, he says, or pass judgment on you. So in verse 17, he says this. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance, the substance, the real core belongs to Christ. And so they're going to watch. Ah, I saw him eat or drink that. Oh, I know what you were doing on Easter Sunday. Or, oh, you only come to church twice a month. Hmm. These outward forms of religion, Paul says these are empty because they're nothing but a shadow. And a shadow has zero substance. The substance comes from the person himself. And so he says all these like little legalisms and outward religious rituals that people want to do. These are shadows of Jesus himself, of Jesus himself. So don't let people judge you on the husk. You want the seed, but they're going for the husk, this empty shell. It's like the peanut that you crack open. There's nothing in there. That's what they're doing. That's what they're judging you on. Your shell is all out of sorts. And Paul's like, hmm, too bad that God cares more about the inner man than this husk that's going to wither away. Jesus told the Pharisees when they complained about how he washed his hands. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you that you speak pleasurable things to God with your mouth, but your heart is far from them, from him. So we see that when we don't live just Jesus, it's emptiness. We're just a husk. We're chasing shadows and no substance. 18, let no one disqualify you or uh, cheat you of your reward. Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from which the whole body, this is Jesus, by the way, from which the whole body, the church nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So in 18, look, there are people trying to rip off your reward or disqualify you. Basically, they're going to look at how you live and say, hmm, nope, nope. That's not how real Christians do it. That's not how complete, mature Christians do it. So we're disqualifying you. You're obviously a second rate. That's disqualification. They've judged you. They've put you in their place. The Greek there is referring to something that an umpire would do. You know, the guy slides into second base. He says, safe or out. He's, he's either disqualifying him or qualifying him in that play. And this is what these false teachers in Colossae were doing. Lording over the people, ruling over them, telling them where they are really. And Paul's like, what? And what are they basing this off of? They're basing this judgment off of asceticism or uh, King James. You guys read false humility. 
you will notice the word false is in italics, which means it's not actually in the Greek. It's supplied for understanding. So literally in the Greek is just saying humility. Now, humility is always a good thing in the New Testament. God wants us to be humble people, but that's why they supplied the word false for you because you understand that this kind of humility they're putting up is totally false. You're like, we don't ever do this. We don't ever do that. And we, you know, and so there's this humility that they're mimicking. And Paul's saying this is not humility at all. Now, humility is an attitude, but Paul is clearly talking about an action, which is why I think the English Standard Version chose to put asceticism in there. Because asceticism was very popular in Paul's time in the pagan world. And asceticism, if you don't know, it's basically just somebody who, who denies themselves of a lot of things. So they're, they, they're self-denying, uh, they're very simple, but they're also very severe and very stern. And so they're going around doing this whole uh, <laughs> severe, austere, austere and stern, uh, we don't partake in that. We don't partake in that either. And look, those are great motives. And there's a lot of things that we should probably be ascetic about and saying we don't partake in that. We deny that pleasure. But they're going on and on and on about it to the point that they're severe and harsh about it. And they're disqualifying other people because they may not be as ascetic as they are. And that somehow by beating up my body or by denying myself of this pleasure or by fasting for a really long period of time, I am becoming godlier. I've tried. I've, I've fasted. I do fast here and there. I'm not as much as I should at all. Um, you know what I experience? I experience hunger. I don't experience godliness whatsoever. <laughs> And I get very ungodly when I'm hungry. <laughs> Point is, asceticism does not equal godliness. It's simply a practice that may help you get closer to God, and it may not. Paul's saying, so they're disqualifying you on bounds of asceticism or false humility. And he goes on to more. Um, by the way, asceticism is something they'd use, especially fasting, when people wanted a special vision from their, from their God. So they would really starve themselves, and they do these really hard things to their body. And somewhere within a week, they would have this vision. Uh, so that's why asceticism makes more sense. It's because when you read in 18, they insist on asceticism and worship of angels. So they're looking for some revelation of an angel and going on in detail about visions. So it seems that there's this movement of if you simply do these right things to your body, you're going to get the whole vision of God. And Paul the whole time saying, oh, please understand you're already complete in Jesus. So don't let them disqualify you because you don't participate in their ultra rigorous practices and they're puffed up without reason uh, by his sensuous mind or fleshly mind or earthly mind that's the idea their mind is rooted here on the ground in the elemental principles of the universe earth air fire water asceticism they're not holding fast to Jesus. So he's clearing there very clear here. Now, verse 20, he continues third time. So if with Christ you died, remember we said that? You're insiders. You're complete in him. He made you die with Christ and rise with Christ. So that's is already established. So now, theoretically, if, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world or to these ascetic practices and these 
foods and drinks and, and earth, air, water, and fire, if you, with Christ, died to those things, why then, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Why? You've died to it. Why do you submit to these regulations? They go around bullying you, telling you what to do like this. 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish, right? The elemental principles of the universe. These things all perish according to human precepts and teaching. Why do you submit to these things that perish and are according to human teachings? Why? You've already died to these things. Why are you submitting? It's a please. Why? Why do you even consider this? This outward religious practice is empty. This ascetic practice only starves you. And now these demands are 100% and utterly fruitless. 23, they're fruitless. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But, so although it's impressive and it's magnificent, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Wow. He's building up to this the whole time, you see. He's, he's sort of showing you don't need these things. And finally, these things do nothing to actually make you more mature as a Christian. Because they cannot kill off the flesh. It's like fighting fire with fire. That's the saying in America, at least. Fighting fire with fire back in the colonial days when there was a, uh, to prevent fires, they would do small controlled fires. We still do this today, right? Uh, to sort of give nothing for a, a coming wildfire to feed on. So it was preventative. But back in the time, uh, fighting fire with fire became, or in other words, backfire, right? You do something that backfires on you. Uh, that came from this context in the colonial days because what they called these little fires were backfires. They lit backfires to prevent the big coming fire. Um, but of course, back then, they weren't as good. They didn't have the things we have today to control these fires as well. So every now and then, uh, these backfires, hence our term, backfired. And by fighting fire with fire, they actually got burned. And it would often not go over so well. And so that's where the phrase comes from. And what Paul's going to say now is exactly that. He's saying, listen, you're trying to kill off the flesh, but you're using fleshly means to do it. Or in other words, you're wanting to become more heavenly, but you're turning to earthly practices to accomplish that. It doesn't make sense. You're fighting fire with fire. You're using the very weapon that the, that your enemy's using against you and it's not going to work. So Paul gives him a different remedy, a different way to increase and to grow in Jesus. To live just Jesus is not to bring more earthly things into your life. I got all these practices I'm doing well. No, it's rather to do three verse one. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, above the elementary principles of the universe, earth, air, fire, and water drink and food and asceticism seek those things which are above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth 
Remember in 18, they had sensuous or earthly minds. And here Paul picks it back up. Set your mind not on earth, but where Christ is. And listen, you've been raised with him. So that's where you are. That's the full you is there with Christ. Set your mind there above these things. Four verse three, for you have died. Remember, you're an insider. You have died and your life you're living just Jesus. It is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. That's where we're to turn our attention. Do you know the word persnickety? So I gave you welt angst last week. This week we have persnickety. Um, I had a teacher... I, uh, she still to this day has a plaque in her classroom that says persnickety. <laughs> and she was indeed persnickety. Now, persnickety, a person who is persnickety is somebody who really majors on the minor things. They, they pay close attention to detail and, and they demand uh, strict observance to the small little things. And so very little things are very, very big on. And that's persnickety. It's like they're almost hunting for these little things. And uh, she, she's good at what she did. Man, she is persnickety, but man, she can get a kid, a wayward child on the straight and narrow. I mean, she knows every little place to break them <laughs> and, or mend them, I guess I should say. <laughs> mend them. Um, so this is, this though, however, uh, this is how I see the false teachers in the Colossian church. And this is how Paul is describing them over and over. It's like, they're these persnickety little people sniffing everything that they can. And they're going around like, ah, you didn't drink what we thought you should. Oh, you didn't eat proper. Oh, you're not fasting. And oh, they're going around. Don't touch, don't handle, don't smell, don't sniff, don't look. All these things. This is persnickety. And Paul's pointing them out by saying, there's so many little, like, this is earthly little things they're dealing with. These little details, like, oh, does it really matter? Like, they're always looking down for, ooh, you need to show up on this part of the earth and that part of the earth. And you haven't quite handled that part really well. And they're like, looking at all the little things. And Paul's just like, persnickety, just look up. That's where your life is. Get over these little, little nuances they're squabbling about saying, get this together. And he's like, remember, that's empty. That's hollow. Nothing's there for you. That's what he's doing. Don't be persnickety. Don't be a persnickety Christian, but be a mindset on Jesus, seeking Jesus, because that is where my life is hid. I died with Jesus to these persnickety things, but I now live. I live in my future home with him. That's where I'm to keep looking. So that's what he says there in chapters, in chapter three, verses one to four. So, so we've now dealt with the whole why he wants us to live just Jesus. Is because if we ever get it to be more than just Jesus, this whole persnickety, this empty, this hollow, this dead existence happens and we miss it. But if we live just Jesus, we are complete Christians. And it's just so ironic, isn't it? That the less we have, the more complete we become. Isn't that ironic? Tim will tell you, our guitarist over here in the corner, that one of the things they teach you as a young guitarist in a worship band is less is more, right? And because you've got to teach young guitarists that less is more because, oh man, they want to show off everything they can do. And it's painful. (laughs) 
And so there's this coaching process, and Tim does well on this. He's not learning this. I think he's teaching others about this. Uh, the idea that, you know what? If you only come in every now and then and do just a simple little thing, it's beautiful. But, man, the, you know those guitarists that are just trying to take the spotlight? You can't hear the worship leader sing. And everyone's like, God is great. That guitarist is awesome. That guitar, what? What's going on? And that's less is more. And that's how, that's what Paul's getting us back to. Just Jesus is actually more complete than these guys that have these sophisticated, complicated, aesthetic, elemental principles of the universe ways of religion. So that's why, but now the how. How do we get back to just Jesus, or how do we stay with just Jesus? Uh, this is a list. We'll, we'll make our way through this. Um, verse 5, 3, 5. So number one, you need to put to death... What is earthly in you? If you go forward to verse 12, it's number two. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So what Paul's going to say then is this. Sometimes we have too much going on, so you've got to put to death the earthly things. Purge, get rid. And then in its place, put on Put on the things that are of Jesus. So uh, briefly here in verse five. So you're going to put to death what is earthly in you, a sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. There you have a bunch of uh, different ways of saying sexual sins. So he's hammering the sexual sins, which is very prevalent in the, in the Roman Empire. Um, so what we were learning is that just Jesus doesn't mean that, uh, as long as I have Jesus, I can do whatever I want and everything's good <laughs> because clearly Paul's saying here that you have to put certain things to death, that that's part of what just Jesus is. It isn't Jesus and I get to do whatever I want. Cause that's clearly not just Jesus. Just Jesus is that you're putting to death certain things through the power of him in you because you went to the cross with him. And so that is happening and you're letting those things die. You're not re you're not resurrecting these things in your life. Being put to death. So verse 6, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. These things, anger, malice, slander. Now these are all verbal uh, sins, things that people say with their mouth. So their body, their mouth now, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek and Jew. There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. A Scythian, by the way, were the people that were considered on the farthest edge of the Roman Empire. So they're the ones farthest from civilization possible. Uh, we call them rednecks. And I'm um, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, put on then. So now here's the difference. So put these things to death. Now put on. And the idea here is like clothing. You know, you dress for an occasion. Uh, here is what we're supposed to put on. This is the Jesus suit. And here's the great thing, like the, like the sandals and the clothes in the wilderness for Israel, it tells us that they did not wear out. 
Their clothing did not wear out the whole time. The one outfit was sufficient for them. The one food, manna, was sufficient for them. And so Jesus, on our journey, is sufficient for us. We just need to put these on, leave them on. You're good forever. What an outfit. Man, why don't they invent clothes like this anymore? So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfection. Uh, the ESV adds harmony in perfect harmony to give you a, an idea of the symphony that's happening, everything coming together. Uh, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. You notice how many times Paul said that in Colossians? The third time now. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So look, when the word of Christ dwells in a people group richly, when that's happening in their hearts, you see teaching happening. You see admonishing one another in all wisdom happening. Then you see this, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, oh, there it is again, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks again to God the Father through him. So here's the idea. Um, you've died with Christ. That's why you're putting your mind on heavenly things now, not earthly. You put your, if you focus your walk with God and how to add these earthly things into your walk with him, well, then you're actually fighting fire with fire is the idea. But by setting your mind on the spiritual um, and where you actually live with Christ, living just Jesus, then you're actually finding the way, the true way to conquer the passions and the indulgences of your sinful nature. That's what you need. You don't need to fight sin with its methods. You don't need to conquer death with death. You need to conquer death with life. And that's where he's putting our emphasis is there. Uh, so you've died. Why then dress a corpse? I mean, he's been telling us here, put on these things. You're dressing yourself because you're alive. But the persnickety false teachers have been telling him, do this and that and that and that and all these little things because, well, what are they emphasizing? Let's make the corpse beautiful. Let's dress it up. And Paul is this whole time saying, but you've died, you've died, you've died, and your life is elsewhere. So clothe yourself in those things, in the new life. And so this is what I have to ask. If, if, we're, if we've fallen into this persnickety, um, this not just Jesus kind of Christianity, then you have to really ask yourself, what are we doing? We're adorning a corpse. And that is not very smart. As a waste of time. Unless you want the flesh to rot and the skeleton to show and it's still dressed though. But that's what some of us are trying to do. We're dying inside and we're just dressing up with our religious concepts. And Jesus wants, like he said, he wants to be all for you and to resurrect you so that you're not a corpse but you're alive and you're not dressing that corpse anymore you don't care about the earthly garments you care about the heavenly garments and putting those on and the things that were just described there from 312 on to 17 312 to 17 those are your heavenly garments 
And that is what makes a living being be clothed, not this persnickety clothing a corpse stuff. So chapter 4, 318 down to 4, very familiar ground. It's basically going to be repeated in Ephesians. It's where he tells wives to submit to your husbands and husbands to love your wives and children to be obedient. And fathers, don't provoke your children. And masters, be nice to your servants. And servants, be nice to your masters. This goes down all the relationships. And it says, love each other. Be happy. Get along. He gives them some advice. And then in chapter 4, uh, he gives a couple closing random sporadic comments like, you know, uh, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with Thanksgiving, another Thanksgiving thing. Um, walk in wisdom, verse five, toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each other. But then in verse seven, he has this rather lengthy final greetings where he's talking to people. Hey, say, tell so-and-so I say, hi, I'm sending so-and-so with this message. Uh, and he's talking to them. Interesting reading, by the way. It's not like the one in Romans that Pastor Mike taught, where it's just literally names. You're like, okay, cool. Um, this one, he actually starts calling people out and like, fulfill your ministry because you're slacking. <laughs> so he starts doing this to them. And that's an interesting closing. So definitely worth your reading tonight when you go to bed. However, um, that's Colossians. So this is what I want us to consider after two messages of just Jesus is that Jesus is where the power is. That's why we only need Jesus. He's where the power is. Our religious practices are meant to help us and lead us to that power. Okay? So I preach so that we can get to just Jesus. Richard leads worship so that we can get to just Jesus. We read our Bibles every day and pray so that we can get to just Jesus. We love our neighbor as ourselves so that we can get to just Jesus. Right? This is, this is all helping us to strip away the complications and do the simple things and let just Jesus be present. That's what practices are meant to do. But if they don't lead us to the power and instead become the power in and of themselves, we are no longer living just Jesus. Right? So if anything that we do as Christians, if that is in and of itself the power that we need for transformation, you've already gone off the path a step or two. Jesus is that power. And we are simply trying to make sure that it is just him in everything that we're doing. Now, this is where, you know, I I don't want to be one of those people who harp and rant and tirades against everything that that people write or do in the world, uh, like self-help books. There are some really interesting, helpful things out there. But, 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 that's not the power The power is not me to change myself. The power is just Jesus to change myself, right? And so these these are the lines that we need to understand about what just Jesus means. It doesn't mean we have to go on this hunt and be persnickety with each other. But rather we encourage each other, keep it simple. You know, if you want to pray in an ancient manner that calvary chapel is very uncomfortable with does it bring you to jesus or are we being persnickety about that 
if you smoke, is that okay? Because I know a lot of Christians that say just Jesus and not that thing. Kick that butt out. So persnickety or just Jesus? Um, One I hear every now and then is the issue of alcohol, right? Should Christians drink or maybe they shouldn't and all this. Listen, what, Matt, is this a persnickety issue or is this a just Jesus issue? And so I'm drawing some pretty hard topics here because I need you guys to join me in trying to be a just Jesus people. It's not giving license to anything because he says very clearly some things should be put to death. And that's how we get there. But are we really going to keep living, trying to dress up and adorn a corpse? Or are we going to actually try to enter and press into life and live just Jesus and see the power that comes out of that? Maybe we're not seeing his power in our life because we are persnickety. So as Richard leads us in our last song, and we're going to take communion, which is at the end of each aisle, and during the song, when you feel ready, you go get. We need to seriously evaluate where we are, if we're that persnickety Christian, or if we are the living just Jesus Christian. And to choose where the true power lies. And to watch the transformation that God will do in you, in me, in us, in our mountain community, when we are more than willing to say, ah, Jesus alone is just enough. I come to Sunday night Bible study because I don't owe a thing to God. I'm not trying to like pay some debt, but because just Jesus is there. Let's get to this heart. I can't imagine what would happen to a church that was all about just Jesus. I can't imagine. Can't imagine. So, Lord, I ask that you forgive us for wanting to control others and to make others in our image when you've already made us in yours. And so in and through Jesus, we press on and we press in and we get to know you. And so Jesus, we ask that you would be our sustainer, our source, our solution, that you would be the king over our lives. Yes. In the little earth, air, fire, water aspects everywhere. Be the king that we can honestly live, whether in heaven or on earth, Just Jesus.